Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, the legendary Randy Erickson, sitting here looking out at the ocean in Arabella, New South Wales. Um, we're still kind of two days left at Adventure Race World Championships. A lot of teams still on the course. So I still have work to do, but hopefully I'm going to get some uh, podcasts recorded while here, including this one with Jen Sager, uh, who has come out of retirement to uh, an eighth place finish at the World Championships. Pretty amazing that uh, her and Team Bones were able to do that. So it's been quite the experience here. Pretty much everything that you'd want to do, photography, video-wise, you know, pictures of kangaroos and adventure racers, whales with waters coming off their tails, saw wombats, lots of really, really cool pictures of racers, cool pictures of places where we've been, um, no nudity, uh, I caught up with Kyle in the uh, TA, so we'll miss out on that. Um, been a great time. I really want to thank everybody that uh, was able to contribute to get me here. Hopefully, we were, uh, was able to uh, meet your expectations. So, thank you for that. If you like this, I'm not going to ask for money, but you could maybe like uh, get in touch with uh, race directors. Uh, you know, maybe Warren Bates at Dad's Own. Expedition Africa people and uh, tell them how much you like this. I will say that there were, oh, I, I actually can't keep track of how many views, likes, shares, and pictures. It's a huge, huge number, probably better than 50k. So thank you all for watching and looking. Um, all right. Uh, I've had enough of this. I'm going to finish my thick caramel shake and uh, go to the beach and take some pictures. And the rest of you can go fast and take chances. Thanks for listening. Bye. Okay. Introduce yourself. Okay. I know we're on right now. We're rolling. We're rolling. <laughs> I report people when I'm on the computer. They don't know when I start. With, with no edits, right? <laughs> No, I don't add it. That's awesome. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my name's Jen Seger from uh, Squamish, BC, Canada. So, and we're here at XPD World Championship. Blah blah blah. You had a good race, but that's not what I want to know. Okay. Two words. Baja Travisi. Oh yes, <laughs> going back in time. <laughs> it, it's infamous in, in its way, but it sounds like it was such a cool race. I mean, I've talked to other people who've done it. And I think this new generation, quotation marks, um, don't know about it. So, yeah. And you won it twice. Three times. Three times. All three years that it uh, took place, um, Dart Noon was there. And, yeah, we won it every year. It was a, it was a great event. Um, it was just really raw adventure. It was you and your team out there. You had to have the skill sets, you know, lots of canyoneering. Um, and it was expedition but short you know I think we won it each year in three days uh, on pretty much no sleep so but so was it more I mean this was what six seven eight five six seven seven those years some, some yeah I mean ten years ago yeah was it 
more expedition than racing? Or did you need more expedition skills? I'd say you needed more expedition skills. Like, legs were longer. I mean, I remember going into some of those slot canyons, taking like a full 24 hours to descend out of. You know, you didn't see a soul around you. And it was just you just and your team just working through things. So um, they were really good races, yeah. Interesting if they ever come back again. I, yeah, every once in a while you hear a little rumor about it, but I, it seems like maybe Mexico might not be the best spot for a race right now. <laughs> totally. Yeah, there's a lot of other places to go explore for the next bit. Yeah. So where was, where was your start? In adventure racing? Well, let's, let's go way back. Yes, way back. What did you do when you were a little girl? Were you a little girl or were you a little well a little hellion? <laughs> always into sport, team you know, really into team sport. And um, growing up, I was playing um, on the BC field hockey team for many years, trying out for the Canadian team. And as university from high school came, we were all in the finals for the stage of tryouts for that Canadian team. And I made some of the hardest decisions of my life at the time. I watched my friends go on to play for universities in the States. And I just thought my knees were taking a beating from all that. And it was time for me to switch directions. So I chose the university without uh, field hockey and found myself into more outdoor-based sport, getting into kayaking more and hiking and stuff like that. And... Uh, yeah, it just opened up a whole new door for me. And in my final graduating year, I actually graduated from a university in Australia. And I was sitting in my dorm room one night, and up pops Eco Challenge on TV. And I was like, what is that? That is so cool. And right then and there, I was like, I'm moving home to Whistler, and I'm going to start training, and I want to take this as far as I can. It's kind of interesting. It's, it's almost a cliche, but um, and now that I think about it, there's so many women that saw those races. Yeah. Why do you, I mean, do you think that just showed you the opportunity that that was there? Were you looking for something and, and you saw that? Because I don't talk to a lot of men. I mean, some say, yeah, I saw that and I wanted to do it. But yeah. percentage-wise, women really high of seeing those races. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I, one, just loving adventure, but also being very competitive. Mm -hmm. I saw the two as a really good fit. And I just saw quickly that if I could be a really strong female, then there's opportunities there to race around the world and combine all my passions together. So it just seemed like the most natural fit. And I fell in love with the sport as soon as I tried it. Yeah. So. That's one of those uh, where your, your deficit, so to speak, in other sports is, yeah. is very much a positive in adventure racing. You're yeah. strong woman, you get to go anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it opened up a lot of doors, and uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting too, I think, just how the initial couple of years of it, like you'd come off these massive highs mm -hmm. from racing, right, and, yeah. and this sort of euphoric feeling, and it, then it, but it would lead into huge lows, and it was sort of like you then had to find a way to get that fixed again, mm -hmm. and I found it became, it became very repetitive, which is yeah. probably why I got so wrapped up, because you just wanted to feel how you feel yeah. when you cross that finish line. Yeah again and again and again. Yeah. So I think that's sort of what erupted things for me. Yeah, you don't you don't want you don't want Monday morning to come. No, totally. I'd rather be out playing. <laughs> well wouldn't we all? <laughs> um, so were you successful at the start? Um well there was a drive in me, I would say. So, you know, I started with um, you know, it was sort of a very beginner team in my first expedition race, um, but knew right after that, like, I needed to compete at a 
a faster pace yeah. and just the drive was there. So within, I think, two races, I was... Um, I remember being, yeah, at World Championships in Newfoundland. Uh, it was one of my first races, and that's actually out on the course where I met uh, the Dart team. They were racing as Dirt World at the time. And uh, we connected on that course and started chatting afterwards at the after party. And uh, I think within a couple of weeks, I was meeting them sort of in mutual ground north of Seattle. I was coming down from Vancouver. They were coming up to the Bellingham area, and we just, the fit was there. They were looking for a new strong female, and I was looking for a new team, and that's who I've pretty much spent my career with. I was just going to say, is that kind of who you... Yeah, racing with? together. They're like family to me. I think, we, you know, we've raced together for eight, nine years. Sort of went from a grassroots team up to some really, you know, some great accomplishments. And, uh, you know, Brazil Eco Motion World Championships, we had our best finish. We finished uh, fifth that year. So, and just, you know, you came, you came to trust these guys with your life. And we had, but it was fun at the same time. So... Was it, do you think it was easy for you to go to a team like that because of your background in team sports? Could be. I mean, I, I think what you learn maybe in those early years about how to function on a team and how to act and how to treat people, I think it yeah. plays out. I mean, you know, watching these teams out here, if there's any fighting, if there's any issues, the team's just not going to go far. They're not going to go fast. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, but I think you do it without thinking though, at the time. Yeah, because so. I think, you know, my wife grew up not being sports and then when she got into it it was always solo stuff and then she finds the team aspect of adventure racing like basically any more a barrier for her to do it because right. I don't think she had that experience growing up and then without a team to be with you don't learn it so yeah I think it's really nice that you have that background in yeah, and I mean, I think I, I sort of always paired over these last 10 years. I, I kept doing the adventure racing with the team, but I was doing a lot of solo competition as well. Because that was important for me just to see where I still stood as a solo female athlete. So I was mountain bike racing, doing a lot of ultra running. Um, just things that still put me on my own and me, me pushing me, not having that team to support yeah. me. Um, so yeah, you know, I think they, they pair well together. Yeah, well, so you, you know, you have... The solo sports to feed the ego, plus the team sports to feed the mm -hmm. ego. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want to. I mean, right, you're a racer. You want to do well, right? Totally. And I think one of the one of the draws actually to coming back to this World Championships this year uh, was I was excited to come back and be with a team out there because the last five years after stepping away for a little mm -hmm. break, just doing solo sport, I was like, oh wow, like I'm really excited to be out here with people to talk to the whole time and work together with because it has been five years of solo racing mainly. Lately. So your break from adventure racing, was it a conscious decision or did it just kind of happen? It was a forced upon almost um, but personally I knew my body was breaking down um, a lot of adrenal issues going on like just I've been pushing and pushing so hard um, and I knew I just I needed I needed a break I was burned out from adventure racing as well I mean I was racing so hard felt like I was living out of a suitcase all the time um, and I think just everything caught up with me. I was tired of, you know, sleeping in a ditch for 20 to 30 minutes. I was tired of lugging my bike box and all this gear around the world and just the stresses and the, that come with it as yeah. well. Um, so it was just time, it was time to take a break. And I didn't know when I would actually come back to it. I just knew I needed to step out for a little bit. Yeah. And um, it was the best thing I could have done. I got healthy again. I had a baby. Um, you know, did a lot, sort of really focused on my career at the same time, which is a great pairing to racing, you know. Yeah. Um, so I still got to live 
the sport through all my athletes that I work with. So I never felt so out of it and far gone. It was just, I was cheering for them now instead of yeah. myself. <laughs> it was good. So what did you, so for the last five years, were you still an adventure racer? I think so. You know, I would still call myself an adventure racer. And, you know, even if I wasn't stepping on these start lines, I was doing a lot of personal adventures, say maybe with a friend or solo things and going after FKTs and just still out there. By no means was I sitting yeah. down doing nothing. But, um, yeah. So once an adventure racer, always an adventure racer? I think so. <laughs> I think so. I don't think you lose it. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to go to one of my stock questions. People like this. So we'll... We're, not including this week, go back, what were your favorite and your least favorite six hours of adventure racing? Ooh. Trust yeah. me, people love this I like question. how you said, don't, don't part, put in a point about uh, this race. Yeah. <laughs> That's an easy one. <laughs> um, worst six hours. Well, it would probably have to come down to uh, Primal Quest, Utah. Mm -hmm. Um when we had an act, we had an incident in the canyon with Ryan Van Gorder uh, and nearly lost him out there uh, with a really bad case of heat exhaustion. And so that race is sort of scary and I think the reality of what can happen. You know, you're not invincible just because you're on a race course. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was a huge learning experience. But that was really uh, eye-opening and just super scary and it made me question at that point, what are we doing what? out here? Like, this is... So yeah, cause you don't really ever. I mean, you don't really ever expect that, right? No. You did, you're you're not climbing Mount Everest where you're probably going to die. You're racing, exactly. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, this is the real deal. Yeah. So, all right. And, and just for your information, everybody comes up with the worst six hours first. Yeah. Interesting, <laughs> eh? It is. <laughs> but I'm the same way. Yeah. Somebody will say. Tell me a story right. about it. Yeah, I like yeah, road biking and getting caught in a blizzard. Yeah. That, you know, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so it's the highs and lows, right? Mm -hmm. um, probably some of the best six hours probably was, yeah, World Championships, Equal Motion, Brazil. The final push to the finish was this amazing sandy beach. We just come out of this sailing leg in those big boats and one of my teammates was puking and sick but we were like you know we were pushing to the finish and we were in a really good position and then we had this amazing beach trek in white sand dunes and you know I use the picture still a lot on my website and whatnot because it's just such good memories of that race that's but who doesn't like going to the finish suddenly you forget about all the bad things that's true but that sometimes push. I won't let people talk about the finish but yeah it, it, yeah those are good memories um since you're old school, is there a race back in the days that you wish you'd have done? Maybe even before you started racing? You look back at some of that stuff and say, oh, God, I wish I'd have gone to that race. Well, I mean, I, I, actually, it's funny we were talking about that last night because I always wish I had done an eco challenge just because they're so iconic. But I started the year after eco finished, so I missed that. I mean, in just some of those early races, you hear about, like, the raids and, and stuff. So I would probably say that. Um, you know, I haven't done, didn't do a lot of racing. Well, Explore Sweden I always wanted to do, mm -hmm. and I never did the race in Dubai either. So those two are probably two of the ones. Um, and I'll put Patagonia on that list as well, because that just seemed like raw adventure. There's something weird about that race, because everybody that goes there, as miserable and as sucky as it is, they're like, 
Michael Bay. I know. I've been spending a little bit more time down in Patagonia and sort of Chile for various reasons over the last two years, and I've just fallen in love with the country and the people. But where those that race seems to be just seems very wild and remote. Yeah. Um, but I'd want to make sure I go with the right team to it because you're really it's you and your three teammates and yeah, you that's won't it. See a you soul. don't. You can't <laughs> so. rely on. I mean, even yeah. if they tell you you're out of the race. Oh, yeah, the checkpoint's three days that way. And totally. There'll be a truck here two yeah. days after that, maybe. Exactly. But, yeah, my wife's the same way. She's like, she's like, if you hear anybody that's going down there and needs somebody, she said, don't tell me. Yeah, totally. Because I want to go, I'll go. And she says, I don't really want to go. But, yeah. So. yeah. And then everybody else knows this. I don't know if you don't. Our dog came from Chile. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. She was down there racing and brought home a street dog. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so... I, I'm sure everybody listening is they've heard the story of many times. Um, so lost my train of thought. Where were we at? Where were we anyway, let's move on. Coaching. Yeah. We're going let's go here and we'll talk about the race. Okay. Yes. So why did you get into coaching? Coaching found me. That's what's interesting about it is um, I've been coaching now for well over a decade, um, but people just started to come to me and ask, well, this is really cool what you're doing, like, how do I get into this, how do I sort of prepare and whatnot, and so, you know, you sort of just start giving advice and sort of whatnot, and then I realized, actually, I really love this aspect, and, and I love seeing then someone stand on the start line and go for it. So, you know, and then I started to take the steps to getting certified and just learning and sort of looking at training from a whole bunch of different angles because there is so many ways to prepare somebody mm -hmm. for it. So the more I just dove into it and learned and kept challenging my knowledge and what worked and as we knew, new training philosophies, I just got, they just evolved for me uh, so much. And uh, yeah, I mean, now I, you know, I coach a full roster. It's, it's full time for me. Um, athletes are all over the world and, you know, I've really specialized in endurance. So, you know, when someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, I'd like to improve my 10K time by 20 seconds, you know, I say, well, I'm probably not the best coach for you for that. Um, so I work with, you know, so many ultra runners now, lots of adventure racers, distance mountain bikers, uh, a lot of stand-up paddle boarders and people just doing mountaineering expeditions. I have such an array of people now, uh, but all endurance specialized. So how do you, I, I mean, I, coaching has evolved so much. I mean, everybody has a coach. Yeah, feels yeah. like that way. In my, in my day, back in my day, we didn't have no damn coaches. We just went out with one yeah. one bottle of water and did hundred yeah. miles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you how do you work with athletes? Is it power files, heart monitor, just day, is it just all like data, or do you do? Do you know what? Them. It is, uh, yeah, it's actually a really full scope. So some people are very number driven. They need specifics. Other athletes on the completely other side of the spectrum won't even wear a watch. They won't upload data for me. We train them with what I call just by perceived exertion. Um, you know, they just sort of tick along. So you have such a, an array of people and how they like to be coached. So you have to kind of be flexible and, and do that. Um, but, you know, all the training I write is, yeah, it's individual for the person to fit their lifestyle. So I just don't believe in a cookie-cutter program that's going to work for everybody because everyone's got their strengths, their weaknesses, their time constraints, their injuries that they're working with. Um, that's what, it's like everyone's a puzzle to me. Um, so it's really neat. And some people love the constant contact. Sometimes, like, I fly all around to see my athletes to do specific training with them or we'll do whatever. And other, other athletes will never meet 
and I have very little contact with. That's just how they kind of operate. They're like, yep, yep, I'm doing my work, and I'm. <laughs> and you're like, okay, great. So, so yeah, like each person I said is just so unique. Yeah, it's cool. And I suppose this is differs for everybody, but when you take on a new athlete, I'm sure you. Yeah. You evaluate them, give them a training schedule. How long is it before they start listening to what you say? That depends on the person. <laughs> you know, I mean... So do you get somebody that pays you good money and then like, I ain't doing that? I mean, you know what, I guess I've had a couple of those over the time, but I usually would be the one, if they're not going to follow the program, I usually step in and then say, maybe this isn't really what's best. Like, you know, I know the type of athletes I like to work with. I like communication. I ask for lots of communication. Um, so I just learned who I like to work with. Like, I, I don't I don't want people's money if they're not going to do the work. Yeah. That's not satisfying for me as a coach, yeah. right? So yeah. um, I think through time and, you know, I've got a very detailed intake form now in which I work with people and get to know them and make sure that coaching is really the right fit and that's mm -hmm. what they they need, you know. Because I, I mean, I, I enjoy my job. I love yeah. working and touching base with everybody. It's so awesome. I've got a couple athletes out here in Australia. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. One of which I'd never met till the start line. So, you know, I love my work. I I take pride in that, and I I think there's certain aspects and features I needed that people to follow to be successful. So, yeah. Yeah. for it to work. But so. I bet you got room for a couple more athletes in your roster, adventure racers, don't you? I always do. <laughs> I'll make room. <laughs> so. Adventure racers are awesome. <laughs> yeah. And we'll do the podcast thing. Uh, go to the show notes for a link. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so. All right. How did you get here to this race? Five-year break. And yeah. yeah. So who, who made the first... Who sent the first email? Uh, Roy did from Team Bones. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, he reached out to me and I was saying, hey, we're uh, wondering if you're keen to come race with us at Worlds. And that was, I think it was early in the summer, actually. I can't quite even remember when he asked me. So, you know, I had a chat to Norm, my partner, about it, and we thought, okay, this could be cool if I come down. Maybe they'd come down and join me and we could make a holiday out of it after. So I thought, okay, you know, I've raced in Australia before. Actually, several times I've been back to race. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know Bones well. You know, we spent a lot of years racing it, like, against them yeah. side by side on the course. So I knew their abilities. I knew, you know, strong team, uh, personalities, you know, just were going to be probably fine. So, yeah, I sort of took that chance. I was like, you know what, I think I'm ready. I think I'm going to do this. And so I was, uh, yeah, really excited. And they were excited. So... We, we had a great time out there. We were just talking about, we like last night at our sort of team dinner, yeah. you know, we were just saying, we, this was so smooth. Why was this so smooth, you know? And Because uh, you never know when you bring someone new in. Yeah. They yeah. go bad, <laughs> real bad. Well, other than you get four really experienced racers and, yeah. and you know each other. It's not like, yeah. you're, you're like, which one of you guys... That's a your Roy? Yeah. Or are you? <laughs> totally. And we can, we have a similar goal. You know, we, we, we were on some conference calls before to make sure everybody was on the same page yeah. and what we were aiming for out there. And uh, But, I mean, everyone just conducts themselves so professionally. And um, they're really easy guys to be with. They're just they're so mellow. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can't tell if they're extremely excited or not at all. Like, I mean, Roy, Roy just stays so neutral. He's, uh, yeah. It's, and it's then there's funny. that troublemaker. Well... Yeah, so... You can, you, can, you can photo, you can photo bomb the podcast. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, no, they're uh, you know great guys, so it, was, it worked out really well. So, what were your goals for the race? Did you meet it? We did. We did. We, our goal was a top ten, and um, you know we never we started out quite far back after that first paddle, which we knew we're not a strong paddling team, and we knew we'd probably get smoked. We just stayed steady and just bit by bit. We just sort of seemed to pick people off. We knew just it's a long race. We don't need to go all out. Uh, we just kept working our way up. Um, then as we sort of came into that top ten, we were fluctuating with the same teams back and forth. And then suddenly we were kind of there. We were we were sort of tenth, and then. We popped in to sort of ninth, and then uh, somehow finished eighth there. I guess uh, Estonia got a penalty for litter in the boat or something, and uh, we woke up yesterday morning after thinking we were ninth, and we moved into eighth by two minutes. <laughs> so. so I don't know if I have very many Estonian listeners, but let's just let's just say that uh, they're pigs. <laughs> And I, know, and I know that from experience because I helped load one of the, their boat, and it's like, not that my hands are clean now, but I'm living in a van, yes. so what can I say? Well, it was made pretty clear about expectations, and at that, you know what, these are volunteers on the course, they're not out there to clean up our garbage. Yeah. You know, that's, that's our job, so anyhow, whatever they did, they did, but um, we'll take the eighth, and uh, we're happy with that. Yeah. I'm going to go on a little tangent, and then we're going to come back to, to the race. This is this is the first race, and it'll be your first race, obviously, with race referees. What do you what do you think? Not the race director making decisions anymore. Well, I think it's necessary. You know, I think it just shows you know just the sport is evolving, and um, it's so unique because it's not spectator friendly. You're not just under the microscope constantly, right? So yeah. I think to have um, external neutral people. Who are watching and who are just, I think, just, I think it just keeps it a little cleaner and a little tighter, yeah. you know. And uh, so, from what I could see, it was a really good thing. I mean, I, I guess there's been a lot of penalties given out over the course of the races, and we're finally yeah, they're just in to see. they're so arbitrary. Yeah, it seems yeah, like. yeah. So, um, okay, back going back. So your guys' goal was the top ten. That seems a little. Uh, Full of yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, you're a team that yep. hasn't raced together. Yep. You're all good racers. This was a stacked field. There were Very, 30 teams that thought they could be in the top. Totally. Team. Yep. And you and we we knew that coming here. We said that before we looked around. We were like, yep, there's this exactly what we said. There's 25 teams here who are all capable of top 10. Yeah. Right. And so. If we hadn't achieved top 10 and we finished somewhere in that top 25, I think we would have still been really happy. Um, you know, and we, yeah, it was just a sort of an experience thing. We're like, no, you know, we're, 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 we're experienced, we're fit. As long as, as long as you have that race where things come together and they did come together. Whereas I watched, you know, other teams, um, like Merrill, um, who are an extremely <laughs> awesome, great, strong team, and they just had bad luck. Just yeah. things went wrong, and that could have been us, and it has been us in the past, right? So yeah. I think you just we were just grateful. We we're like, yeah, we just had that strong race where the nav was just super smooth, no bike mechanics. We hit the dark zones at the right time. We hit the tough nav in the daylight. Mm -hmm. It just worked. So there we are at eight. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like, um, but yeah, great stacked field, and but. That to me is exciting. I'd rather race against yeah, 30 top I mean, teams, was, strong teams. Uh, by far the most competitive team and competitive race in, mm -hmm. since '09, since yeah. I've been paying attention. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, do you 
really like that hard competition? Or would you, or would you like to have, well, you guys are all pretty good, but let's smoke them. <laughs> no, you know what? I To me, I think maybe just now, even as I've grown as an athlete, yeah. you know, I... I I respect a very strong field, and I would be happy to finish fifth in a strong field as opposed to first in an unstrong. Like, yeah. it just means so much more. And, you know, you you get that respect, I think, too, from everybody around you. And you're like, wow, like, to finish 12th here, to finish 16th here is still extremely you good. you top 20 here, you are pretty damn good. Absolutely right. Honestly, if you're in the top... 97 here, you're pretty good. Yeah, to finish this course, but to have things... I mean, and then there's always just the bad luck, and yeah. that's just a part of this unique sport. It just is, and you have to kind of also be... You have to be, I guess, just willing to say, you know what, it might be our turn that we don't have that good race. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. What's the one thing day, the night of day two you're out there that you're like, oh, yeah, I remember this from five years ago. I didn't like it then. Oh, as soon as we started the paddle in the first leg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was the start of the race. I know. <laughs> I knew that going in. I mean, I, once we knew how much paddling was in this le- in this race, you know, I definitely, that's not my most favorite discipline that we do. Um, so as soon as we just got going out there, I was like, oh, man, like, how long is this going to be? Um, but, you know, I actually enjoyed the first part. It wasn't terrible once we got into it. Um yeah. I think, though, I mean, the low point for me in this race was the fourth pat, the last paddle. And I, the sleep monsters hit me so hard. I was so uncomfortable in those boats. I mean, those boats were, they're pigs. They're so slow. And, like, everything just sort of at that point, I was like, oh, what's this? Exactly. This feeling is back again. I was talking gibberish. I was trying to stay awake. I was trying to paddle with my eyes close. You know, Jason just kept hitting me with his paddle, saying, get your blade in the water. And... You know, but um, there's some things that don't change in the sport. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> but you had to embrace it. But for the most part, I was smiling out there. Like, I, nothing was as bad as I, yeah, I think I, I mean, I'm refreshed again. You yeah. know, so it's good. Yeah, that break, I mean, I raced, raced for 20 years, no nonstop, yeah. just bikes, bikes and running a little yeah. bit. And then, in 2000, I built a house. 2001, I broke my knee, so I had like a two-year break. And I came back and I was like, oh, yeah, this is fun again. Yeah. So. And it's it's hard when you're younger because, you know, even just working with a lot of younger in their 20s or 20-year-old type athletes, they're going so hard. And I was that person. And I remember like Cyril on darts sort of always saying, like, Zeke's, you got to slow down, you know, like, you're going to, I'm like, no, I can handle this, I got this, you know, and you do and do it, do it, so I try to keep that at a perspective to my younger athletes, just saying, like, if you want longevity, you know, you got to, you know, make sure you plan for off-seasons properly, like, don't just jump at every opportunity to race here and there, and, like, it will catch up, it does, like, you know, the body can only do so much, so you got to pace yourself, but... Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. That, well, I'm excited. I, I was going to ask that. Is it hard for your clients to take a day off? Oh, it totally is. You yeah. know, I think, uh, I mean, and everybody seems to hate the, the taper week going in, that last yeah. week or two, and you shut it down a little bit and rest yeah. and stuff. But, I mean, it's so essential. And even now, the more we know, the more we know how important it is to rest. Yeah. And so even my coaching philosophies have changed so much in how I structure people. And there's certain people, too, I'll, you know, at the end, and they've been racing hard, I'll kick them off the roster for a bit. I'll be like, you know what? You're done. You need a break. I can't coach you this because you're going to control yourself into a hole. So 
you know, I think that's my job. That's my experience, and that's I got to stick to that now. Take a break. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, any highlights of the course for you? And specifically, I mean, you know, is there anything that's like it really stands out to you? Well, the caving was super cool. Was that was just super unique, you know, to get there. And I think, uh, and it was challenging. I mean, the, the caves were challenging. Not, it was trying to find the cave was the hardest. Part. Yeah, that's that would kind of surprise me because I followed a couple teams and they're like, yeah, it took them forever to find them. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and I, I don't know what I was expecting, you know. Yeah. A sign maybe it says. <laughs> All on the ground here, but well, that was just it. It was so, it was so random. I mean, I know we we're all sleep deprived going up there too. Um, the guys nailed the nav in that section, though, you know, and it, so it made it a lot better. But then you're going down, and you know, I wouldn't say I get a little bit of claustrophobic in a way, but I just had to just talk myself down, like just you got this, just keep calm the whole time in some of those tight situations. But it was fun. Yeah. Is it kind of like? You wouldn't do those caves just for fun, but since you're racing, you can just kind of focus and, and, and yeah. get through it. I wouldn't say like caving is my sport or anything, but it was just so unique. Like I don't know when I've ever seen caving in a race really before that I've been to, so I thought it was neat. Yeah, they did it at Primal Quest in '09, but it, they, it was like a commercial cave. Okay. But semi-commercial, but they they had na I mean now you know they had to do like three or four levels and work their way around, but it was just yeah. just one cave. So, but. And yeah, I, yeah, I mean a couple times, but yeah, these seem like really good ones to do it in. I mean, I, I went in a couple of them a little bit because I'm unlike you, I can't focus. <laughs> I can go a little ways. I'm, I'm actually okay till I get yeah, small. Yeah, I think I saw some footage of you in the cave. You went in and yeah, but some teams. I also say, ten foot in a cave looks like. A thousand foot in a cave, so yeah, totally. But, but I mean, they they look like, yeah, they did look like fun, and most yeah. people. Although the one I was in, the one guy, like, burst up to the top. It, it basically had a panic attack, and then he like, and then went back down and was right. okay. So yeah, it was unique. I mean, that that was uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, so but it, what in adventure racing is it? You're yeah paddling on the ocean in the middle of the totally. night or yeah. you're trekking someplace that if you have a problem it's like yeah totally nice knowing you yeah so. i mean we we had a blast in the uh, pack rafting section yeah. too but i know some people would not have probably been comfortable going down all those rapids yeah. and you know and even the stuff you might hit at night but you know we thought that was a riot and whatnot so that was cool but you know what i really enjoyed was all the co-steering i love rock hopping and being on the beach like i that's one of my favorite stuff, yeah. and that's very much like I probably just do a lot of that at home with the, sort of some of the coastal terrain in BC. So I love that. I thought that was the more beach, the more rocks and stuff. Is cool. It, it, I think it was cool to watch, but you guys really didn't ever do anywhere like it was in and out of the water a lot, were you? There was only a few. I mean, we thought there were swims coming. We'd be like, oh, no, here comes a swim. And the only time we fully got submerged was the last swim, you know, like 2K from the finish line. Or yeah. Like, and that was the only one that we fully went into. So, and the water wasn't terrible. You know, it wasn't too bad. It's just, it's more of just the buildup of your insult all the time and then the chafing that starts. And that's what you got to watch early on. Yeah. And there's not a lot of route decisions to make either. So, you're kind of, you're all going on the same Beach, but you can see teams up ahead, and the, especially at the, that first coast steering leg. Yeah. I mean, the pace was fast because you're chasing down teams. 
to start. Go, 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 go. Yeah, especially us coming off the paddle in the back. We had a bit of work to do on that. (laughs) That Well, it was kind of nice because you weren't running through a forest on single track, so you could go on the beach. Exactly. kind of nice. So uh, what's up for you for the rest of the winter? Winter. Well, I am... I'm assuming it's going to be winter when we get back. It is. It's dumping in the mountains right now. Um, You know what? I'm listening to my own words, and as of the time I got off this course, I am on official break, taking a solid six weeks off here with nothing. I'm just going to get home, ski, spend time with my family. My adrenals, everything just needs to... I need to take a break. Yeah, so I'm giving myself that, and I'll readdress things in January and uh, what the future holds, but... So then... Here's my, uh, let's see, I always say here's my final question and it never is, but <laughs> I'm speculating here, you're back to adventure racing, Primal Quest is in British Columbia, and Bones has some unfinished business, so to speak, with Primal Quest. I know, I know. <laughs> it has is. there been discussions? Well, we're, yeah, everyone's sort of going, okay, what's happening for next year? That was sort of happening a little bit, you know. I mean, Primal Quest is in my town. Yeah. That's what's, uh, so that's on my mind, for sure, because um, it's just so easy being right there, you know. Um, it's a long way away, though, yeah. still to think about the season, you know, and not just for myself, but my partner, you know, he's a big athlete himself, not mm-hmm. adventure racing, but stand-up paddleboarding, and we've got a three-year-old. There's a lot of pieces the juggle yeah. amongst who can do what and when and you know so kind of just I'm trying not to push anything right now yeah I'm <laughs> but it's you're like it's there I mean it's like it's yeah. there it's going to be a really hard course um, yeah. which is it totally appeals to me I think you know we, as Primal Quest yeah. are they're such true expeditions like you're yeah. gone so I'd like to race it if that works out yeah okay see what I said about last questions would you rather do like I would consider this like a fast course, yeah. or would you like rather do like this is just really really hard. I like hard and long legs. This had a lot of stages and they were short, yeah. you know, relatively. So no, I like the ones where you're like maybe your day and a half until you see, you know, the next TA or whatever. Yeah. So those kind. Yeah. That's my preference. Okay. Final question, unless there's one more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's what's the one piece of gear that you have to have with you? Ooh. Because it's mandatory, or no, just it's something that you need that you love. Just gotta have it. Well, I I don't maybe say this with gear, but how many comments I got? I always wear earrings on the race course. And so many women came up to me and were like, are you going to wear those earrings on the course? I was like, oh yeah, I always wear earrings. Because there's times out there where you're just so mucky and everything you just feel, you like, just want that little bit of feminine feel. You know what I mean? So I've always worn earrings. Maybe it's good luck. I don't know. But keep those with me. See? If I ask enough questions, I get to the perfect, I get to the perfect <laughs> answer to end with. So... All right, so I always close by telling people to go fast, take chances. They're probably tired of hearing that because I've been saying it for the last week. <laughs> so everybody go fast, take chances. Jen's going to go slow, take no chances for six weeks and, and That's right. Up. That's right. So, perfect. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's so, awesome. All right. Uh, happy day or two after Thanksgiving, maybe. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, we're sitting in the cafe 
and I'm getting to look out at the ocean. Jen, unfortunately, has to look at me, but it's pretty nice here. It is. I've had my chance looking at the ocean. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs> Sounds like you might have heard this before. <laughs> I have. That's because this song is called Alice's Restaurant. <laughs> About Alice and the restaurant. But Alice's Restaurant was never the name of a restaurant. That was always the name of the song, which is why I still call it Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. And you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Well, it all started about 40 Thanksgivings ago. Forty years ago on Thanksgiving When my friend and I decided to go up and visit Alice at the restaurant But Alice didn't used to live in the restaurant She used to live in the church nearby the restaurant In the bell tower With her husband Ray and the dog And living in the bell tower like that They used to have a lot of room downstairs where the pews used to be And seeing as how they took out all of the pews and having all that room they decided that they didn't have to take out their garbage for a long time. We got up there, found the place was filled with garbage, and we decided it'd be a friendly gesture for us to take the garbage down to the town dump. So we took the half a ton of garbage, put it in the back of a red VW microbus, took shovels and rakes and implements of destruction and headed on toward the town dump. We got there, there was a sign, a chain across the road saying, closed on Thanksgiving. And we had never heard of a dump being closed on Thanksgiving before. So with tears in our eyes, we drove off into the sunset, looking for another place to put the garbage. And we didn't find one, till we come to a side road and off of the side of the side road there was a 15-foot cliff and at the bottom of the cliff there was another pile of garbage and we decided that one big pile would be better than two little ones and rather than bring that one up we decided to throw ours down and that's what we did drove back to the church had a thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat went to sleep and didn't get up until the next morning when we got a phone call from officer Roby. He said, kid, uh, we found your name on an envelope at the bottom of a half a ton of garbage. Wanted to know if you had any information about it. And I said, yes, sir, Officer Roby. I cannot tell a lie. I, I put that envelope under that garbage. It was after talking to Obi for about 45 minutes on the telephone that we finally arrived at the truth of the matter. And Obi said we had to go down, pick up the garbage, 
We also had to go down and talk to him at the police officer station. Now, friends, there was only one of two things that Obie could have done at the police officer station. And the first thing was he could have given us a medal for being so brave and honest over the telephone, which wasn't very likely. We didn't expect it. And, of course, the other possibility was that, well, he could have bawled us out and told us never to be seen driving garbage around the vicinity again, which is what we expected. But when we got to the police officer station, there was a third possibility that we hadn't counted on. And we was both immediately arrested, handcuffed. And I said, Obi, I don't think I can pick up the garbage with these handcuffs on. He said, shut up, kid. Get in the back of the patrol car. And we sat in the back of the patrol car and drove to the, quote, scene of the crime, unquote. Now, friends, I want to tell you about the town of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where this was happening. They got three stop signs, two police officers, and one police car. But when we got to the scene of the crime, there was five police officers and three police cars being the biggest crime of the last 50 years, and everybody wanted to get in the newspaper story about it. And they was using up all kinds of cop equipment they had hanging around the police officer station. They was taking plaster tire tracks, footprints, dog-smelling prints, and they took 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us. They took pictures of the approach, the getaway, the northwest corner, the southwest corner, and that's not to mention the aerial photography. When it was after the ordeal, we went back to the jail. Obie said he was going to put us in a cell. He said, kid, I'm going to put you in a cell. Give me a wallet and your belt. And I said, Obie, I can understand you wanting my wallet, so I don't have any money to spend in the cell. But what do you want my belt for? He said, kid, we don't want any hanging. And I said, Obie, did you think I was going to hang myself for littering? Obi said he was making sure, and friends Obi was, because he took out the toilet seat so I couldn't hit myself over the head and drown. <laughs> took out the toilet paper so I couldn't bend the bars, roll the toilet paper out the window, slide down the roll, having to skate and get away. Obi was making sure, all right, and it was about four or five hours later that Alice... Remember, Alice? <laughs> this is still the song about Alice. She combined with a few nasty words to Obi on the side. She bailed us out of jail. We went back to the church, had another Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat. Went to sleep and didn't get up until the next morning when we all had to go to court. We walked in, sat down. Obi come in with the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us and he sat down. A man come in, he said, all rise, and we stood up and Obi stood up with the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures and the judge walked in with a CNI dog. We sat down. Obi looked at the CNI dog, and then at the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows, and looked at the CNI dog. And Obi began to cry. 
Cause Obi come to the realization that this was a typical case of American blind justice. There's no way the judge was gonna look at the 27, 8 by 10 colored bell, it didn't matter. Cause we was fined $25 each and we had to pick up the garbage in the snow. Of course, that's not what I come to talk about or nothing, just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> thought I'd talk a little bit about the draft. Now, a lot of people think that's just from years ago. But tell that to the guys who've been called back after all that time. <laughs> Not only that, they still got that building over in New York City and others like it all across America. And that's where you used to have to go in, get injected, inspected, detected, infected, neglected, and selected. <laughs> and I remember I had to go in there one morning a long time ago for my physical examination. So I got good and drunk the night before. Because I wanted to feel my best when I went in that morning. I mean, I wanted to feel, I wanted to look, I wanted to be like the all-American kid. When I went in that morning, I was hung down, I was brung down, I was hung up, I was all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly-looking things. I walked in, I sat down. They gave me a piece of paper, said, kid, see the psychiatrist, room 604. I went in there, I, I said, shrink, I, I want to kill. You know, I, I want to kill. Want to see blood and gore and guts and veins and my teethy dead bird bodies? I mean, kill, kill. And I started jumping up and down, young and kill, kill. And he started jumping up and down with me. And we was both jumping up and down, young and kill, 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 kill. Till the sergeant come over, pinned a medal on me, sent me down the hall saying, you're our boy. I didn't feel real good about it. But I proceeded on down the hall, getting more injections, inspections, and all kinds of stuff that they was doing to me at the thing there. And I was there for two, three, four, five hours. I was there for a long time going through all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly things. They was inspecting, injecting every single part of me. And they was leaving no parts untouched. But I proceeded through until I finally come to see the very last man. I walked up, I said, what do you want to see me about? He said, kid, we only have one more question. Have you ever been arrested? I told him the story of the Alice's Restaurant Massacre with five-part harmony boom orchestration. He stopped me right there. He said, kid, did you go to court? I told him the story of the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows. He stopped me again. He said, kid, I want you to go over, sit down on that bench that says Group W. Now, kid. Group W. Group W was where they used to put you if you might not have been moral enough to join the army. <laughs> After
after committing your special crime. There was all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly-looking people on the bench. I mean, there was mother rapers. Father's dabbers. Father rapers. There was father rapers sitting there on the bench next to me. I mean, these was mean, nasty, ugly, horrible, crime-fighting guys. And the meanest, ugliest, nastiest, the meanest father raper of them all was coming over to me, and he sat down next to me and said, Kid, what'd you get? I said, I didn't get nothing. I had to pay $25 and pick up the garbage. He said, Kid, what was you arrested for? I said, Littering. And they all moved away from me on the bench there. Till I said, and creating a nuisance. <laughs> and then they all come back and shook my hand. We had a great time on the bench talking about crime, mother staffing, father raping, who's smoking cigarettes, all kinds of stuff, having a good time. Till the sergeant come over. He had some paper in his hand. He held it up. He went like this. He said, kids, let's get the special 37 warrants for them senses. Want to know time, the crime, detail, the crime, you got to say, pretend, tune about the crime, rest an officer's name, kind of thing, you got to say it. He talked for 45 minutes, and nobody understood a word he said. But we had fun filling out the forms and playing with the pencils on the bench. I wrote down the massacre like I was supposed to, and I put down my pencil. Turned over the piece of paper. And they're on the other side of that piece of paper, away from everything else on the other side. I mean, underlined and capitalized, read the following words. Kid, have you rehabilitated yourself? I went over to the sergeant. I said, Sergeant, you got a lot of gall to ask me if I've rehabilitated myself. I mean, I'm sitting here on the group W bench. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here on the group W bench because you want to know if I'm moral enough to join the army, burn women, kids, houses, children, villages after being a litter bug. He said, kid, we don't like your kind. Uh, we're going to send your fingerprints off to Washington. And friends, somewhere in Washington enshrined in a little folder is a study in black and white of my fingerprints. <laughs> The only reason I'm singing you the song tonight is because you may know somebody in a similar situation sometime. <laughs> I mean, even some of you can be in something like this sometime sooner than you're sitting here thinking about right now. If you ever find yourself in something like that, you don't know what to do. Well, there may be only one thing you can do. Actually, there may not be anything you can do. <laughs> But there's something you can try. And that's to be wherever it is you're supposed to be. I mean, you go in there, you sit down, you wait your turn. And when you get a chance, you stand up, you go something like this, you say, Oh, shrink! Excuse me, man, but uh, you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant and walk out. I mean, imagine one person, even today, walking in, singing some Alice's Restaurant and walking out. They're going to say, hey, that guy's 40 years too late. Get that guy out of here. <laughs> Imagine two of them walking in, hand in hand, <laughs> singing in harmony. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the policy is, but I guess if you tell them, you ain't going. <laughs> so, 
catching 50. Maybe 50 people a day going in singing some Alice's Restaurant walking out. Friends, they might think it's a movement. And most of them be too young to know what a movement was. <laughs> That's what it was. It was the Alice's Restaurant Anti-Mastery Movement. That's what it was, that's what it is, and I guess that's what it's always gonna be. And all you've gotta do to join is to sing it with me as it comes around again on the guitar. With feeling. <laughs> you can't get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can't get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's the roundabout, just a half a mile from the railroad track. You can't get anything you want No, no. You can't start singing louder just at the end. Who would have thought after all this time, you would have learned by now. You want to end war and stuff, you've got to learn to sing loud all the time so people can hear you. <laughs> now, I, I know this is a long song. Believe me. <laughs> but it could be longer. <laughs> I'm still not proud or tired. Of course, I remember when I was a little kid, I started writing my songs. My dad took me aside one time and said, Arlo, you know, if you can't be great, it's better to be long. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that. Anyway, when it comes around again, maybe you can help me out. Here it comes. You can't get anything that's better at Alice's Rest except an Alice. You can't get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in its roundabout, just a half a mile from the railroad track. You can't get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Da -da 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 -da. At Alice's Restaurant. Thank you so much.